accessing library computer data. Out there, there are no saints. Just people. Hey everybody, welcome back to the show. Continuing our run through Star Trek Deep Space Nine. Right now we're up to the episode called Things Pass. It's the eighth episode of the fifth season. First aired on November 18th, 1996. It was written by Michael Taylor, directed by LeVar Burton. And in this episode, Cisco, Odo, Dax, and Garrick are trapped seven years in the past on Tarek Noor, but everyone thinks that they're condemned Bajorans, and only Odo's memory can save them. We're joined by Clay. Clay, how are you? Good. Ducat got that Bajoran fever. He does. It's a it's a at thing. At this consistent. Point. Yeah. Has there ever been <laughs> has there ever been a story where someone sees a weird like guilt ghost and just comes out and tells everybody what's going on? Like just hey guys, I know this is a weird situation as it is. I would also like to tell you I am seeing a very strange guilt ghost. Um, that's probably going to make me be a little bit on edge. So just keep that in mind if I start acting weird. It's a, it's, I guess it's just going to be bad enough of an, of an event where you don't want to tell people that you're seeing the ghost and reliving the horrible thing that you went through in the past. Yeah, it's a very, it's a very writerly specific uh, thing that goes on. But I guess we'll have to get into it. We'll take a break. We're going to play an audio clip. Me and Claire are going to come back. We're going to break down things past. This is Tarak Noor, DS9 during the occupation. Time travel? And no, it's more than that. Our clothes have changed. Could we be in a hollow suite? Computer, in program. Let's assume that's a no for the moment. Benjamin, we're not attracting any attention. And we should be. Humans, trills, and changelings didn't just stroll through Terraknar unnoticed. Well, then I should be getting some attention as well. We are in the Bajoran sector, and Cardassians weren't exactly welcome here. I don't think they see you as a Cardassian. I'm beginning to think they don't see any of us as who we really are. The clothes we're wearing are Bajoran. They're treating us like Bajorans. Maybe they see us as Bajorans. So going off of um, your points about the guilt ghosts in the opening here, Clay, how long did it take for you to figure out what was going on in this episode? Um, I, I think I got it about maybe a little, little less than halfway through. Mm-hmm. Um, it's I neat actually on, it's neat on rewatch because you see how Thrax is Odo uh, with his line with the lines that they give him. Um, oh, really? Oh, I didn't even think about that. Yeah, yeah that, so that, you that you can you can see Odo's voice in Thrax the Cardassian um, if you're sort of paying attention to how he's talking about things. I think they have a line in here. Some character says that he is unusual for a Cardassian. I think Cisco says that about him. Mm. Um, I actually thought. It was gonna take a bit of a different tack from the from the way that they set it up at the beginning. Uh, I thought that it was gonna be well. It, it was kind of this. It, I, I it I thought it was going to be a Twilight Zone uh, uh, scenario where Garrick is forced to realize that the Cardassians were shitty people. Yeah, that's sort of you know, the, I, that's like, sort of the theme running underneath everything with the cold open and stuff like that. Yeah, right. Yeah, like you know that episode of the the Twilight Zone that they they did again in the movie, uh, where it's like the super racist guy walks out and he ends up he, all of a sudden he's Jewish in Nazi Germany. Yep. Yep. Yeah, I thought it was going to be like that, and it kind of was that, but not exactly that. It was a little bit of an inversion. So I was not expecting. Uh, I was not expecting it to be so. 
uh, weighing on Odo's conscience. So they give you a little bit of a swerve there at the beginning, which I think uh, helps make it a little bit harder to parse out what's going on. I think that it's a uh, one of the things that I like about this episode. It's it's most obviously a sort of um, this is referencing, if not building off of the necessary evil episode back from the second season where Odo had a flashback as a noir detective to trying to figure out what went wrong on the station seven years ago. Um, did I watch that one? You did. Yeah. It's the one okay. that ends with uh, Kira is revealed to have killed the Cardassian that came into, she was trying to steal someone from him. He came right, in the office right, and she right. killed him. And then they have the ending scene where Odo, uh, Kira asks Odo if she can ever, if he can ever trust her again. And then it kind of ends on that note. Right, um, right. This is the same kind of thing, except flipped around for them. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And uh, they wanted to go back to do another Tarek Noor episode, which is what this is. They didn't want to do another uh, flashback thing. So they had to do a time travel thing here. Uh, we can talk about the time travel thing, but I think that the what's really What's good about these episodes and why I kind of like them is that they are, um, they, you sort of need these past Tarek Noor episodes to remind you about where the Cardassians stand and what the station was all about before it became a Federation station. Mm. Because I think that the longer you spend with the Cardassians like Garrick and Dukat and you don't see really what the Cardassians are involved in, you kind of feel more sympathetic towards them than I think you should. You know, right. it's it's just the fact that you don't see how brutal of a, a race and occupiers they are, that it kind of fades off and you kind of think that, oh, Garrick's charming and everything like that. And it's hmm. it's aggressive when you go back to something like this and Garrick is basically saying pro-slavery arguments through a lot hmm. of the episode. Uh, I think it grounds everything and it makes the... It just makes the relationship between the species a little bit better, and it really reasserts the fact that DS9 is born out of a forced labor camp. You know, like, that's a very right. important part of where the station is and what the show comes from. Well, it's it's sort of the same kind of uh, issue. It, it, it kind of touches on the issue that people have about what's the correct way to portray these monstrous characters, generally, generally in speaking people from history, right? Like, uh, whether, how should you portray a Nazi in a movie? Should you give a Nazi any redeeming qualities at all? Should he just be a complete monster? Like, is how far, how much humanization is, uh, ends up being detrimental to the reality of the situation, right? Um, and I think that's, Dipping back in and giving you a sense of what Tarek Noir Tarek is it Tarek Noor Tarek Noor yeah every time I think of it I think Tech Noir, (laughs) (laughs) which is the the name of the bar from the Terminator. Um, But uh, uh, the Tarek Noor stuff gives you, like you're saying, it regrounds the the situation of the occupation and uh, kind of reminds you that you know. While while these people are do ha- do have relatable um, traits because they are you know every every human on some level is relatable right yeah or every person I shouldn't say human every in character case, in the say, show yeah yeah you yeah. know what I mean um, that doesn't necessarily that doesn't excuse the fact that they might be an awful person who did awful things or at the very least has awful views yeah and I think that they. They do a good job with both of the Cardassian characters I hear. I think they don't really Garrick doesn't have a um like a 
moment of clarity, which I kind of appreciate. Like he talks about it a lot and you sort of see through his actions that he is coming to terms with maybe this isn't as great of a, an idea as I thought it was at the start of the episode. Um, mm. Ducat is also interesting because they, they're just continuing to flesh out Ducat as kind of a megalomaniac who really seems convinced that what he did was a good thing for everybody. It's not really mm. an act on Ducat's part. He really truly believes that he is the benevolent dictator who is doing a good thing for the universe and a good thing for the Bajorans by doing everything that he's done here. And I think I, it's a good episode for him. Yeah, I thought the stuff with him was great because he, it really, I, I thought this episode was great in terms of showing how well they know their characters, uh, especially their side characters like uh, uh, Ducat and Garrick. Uh, because Ducat at this point it would be very easy to to forget what his motivation is and what his point of view is, and they don't. And they they you only get a couple scenes with him, but they very succinctly uh, get across the consistency of his character, which I really liked. He's um. It's also funny to me, you know, talking about the portrayal of you know oppressors and stuff. Like, could you imagine? I, I assume they never did this because I never watched the show. Could, but could you imagine if there was an episode of like Hogan's Heroes where they have a flashback episode where we get to see Colonel Clink uh, <laughs> presiding over like a, a concentration camp execution or something? Yeah, right. <laughs> it takes it takes a special kind of breed, I guess, to get the to get yeah. that point across. Yeah, it's um, I mean, it's a. It's a dark sort of history, and I like the thing that uh, people I think people have mentioned before that it's when you watch the station in the the future and you see normal episodes where Starfleet and the Bajorans have done everything, you kind of forget the purpose of the promenade, which is that the promenade mm. is a prison with the guard walkways above it, so that yeah. like when the guards can look down at people and you. You kind of maintain that because in the the series, Odo is always walking around prowling the upper decks like that looking down on mm -hmm. everybody and mm -hmm. that's kind of a holdover for him but i think that uh as a i like these episodes because i think that they do a good job of regrounding everything it's good to see characters like quark uh and, and what he was up to before this happened it's good to see the uh ducats and everything going along it's good to see what the bajorans were up to the sort of random brutality of the cardassians and i think that the uh being Odo's story, I think this does a pretty good job. My my main problem with this episode is that to get to this story, it's incredibly convoluted what they have to oh, do. Yeah. Like the the getting to the time travel aspect is all over the place. The resolution is kind of all over the place. And you if you focus on the middle bit, I think it's fine, but the the periphery edges are a little bit rough. Yeah, I would agree 100%. It's one of the clunkier uh techno babble uh explanations they've ever had where it's like they have an explanation at the beginning which turns out not to really be true but they then they have to explain it further at the end well it gets uh, augmented i think it's true they just yeah, don't understand that, why yeah, it did something yeah. yeah yeah and like i yeah the idea that this thing activated some sort of dormant shape uh changeling Psychic ability or something, yeah. psychic yep. ability, and yep. then launch them into a miniaturized version, like a land party of the Great Link or whatever it is. So, my uh, question: Does that mean that Cisco, Garrick, and Dax are aware of what happened in the dream, or do they need Odo to do his report before they know what happened, or were they in j just unconscious? I was under the impression that they knew. Okay, because um, 
they you don't get any scenes. I wonder if that's that might be something that's missing from this episode is a is a is a scene with at the very least Gar uh, Odo and and uh, Cisco. But I don't know if that would be more that would be any more or less beneficial than the scene that you get with Kira. Um, okay. See the you know what I mean. My my problem with the Kira scene is that I know they're trying to mirror necessary evil and flip it around. Mm-hmm. It, it feels a little bit weak because she only just shows up at the end and is like, hey, yeah. I read your report. What's that all about? Like, it doesn't feel earned in the way that Necessary Evil did because in Necessary Evil, she was a part of that plot the whole way through. And the reveal yeah. actually yeah. was a flip on the story at the end. And I know maybe it would be too on. Oh, I don't know. I was going to say, do, do you think they should have maybe just had kids? Well, obviously, she was having a baby, so she couldn't do this, I guess. Yeah. But, yeah. Or I don't know what her status is at this point. Well, yeah, we're still we're still unsure. She, I guess, according to some listeners, she is wearing like a body bump at, on some episodes, but I don't know oh, if it's okay. this one or if whatever is going on. Yeah. Well, regardless, perfect world. No baby involved. Uh, <laughs> right. Preach, right, brother. guys. Yeah, preach. <laughs> um, would it make more sense to have Kira in the Dax spot? Yeah, because in that, I mean, she, I, she's Bajoran, so it kind of takes away from the masking thing, which seems a little bit forced anyway. But um, no, I guess she would have to. Uh, well, I think that would add that would add a level to the Ducat scenes that Dax can't would. really do. It would. Yeah, I guess it would still work. I guess it could still work. Because it's just changing identities. It doesn't necessarily have to mean that they're changing, you know, like there's still different people in that world. So, this, you know, it doesn't make a difference whether or not it's Dax or Kira. It's still a different person that she's becoming. So. Yes, right. I just, I don't and, think know, Dax adds much to that story. Oh, um, no, I don't think so either. Yeah. yeah. I think it would be thematically more interesting to have Kira there, especially if she gets to witness Odo coming clean about this stuff, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I'd, I'd agree with that. Um so as it is, she just kind of shows up at the end and has the confrontation with Odo and everything. But um, I guess we can just focus on the Odo storyline here. Um, it is the, the the point that the writers wanted to make with this was that they were finding it increasingly unbelievable at this point that uh, someone who was the head warden of the Cardassian occupation would still would not have really done anything wrong during that mm-hmm. time. And they were a little bit confused about how the Bajorans would still kind of like him or like the Bajorans would see him favorably. And mm-hmm. I think that's a good point. And I think it, it this episode sort of confronts that. Um, it, it seems a little bit obvious to me just the way that Odo reacts to everything that something's going on with him. You know something is there from the beginning. He's very nervous. <laughs> you mean you've never dropped a spoon and had like a t- full body freak out? That was the worst. The bl- the literal blood on his hands is probably the worst bit of uh, symbolism yeah, in the episode. A little, a little on the nose with that one. The uh, the I think that the I think it sort of ties in nicely because I do think that his nervousness is tied into the fact that he can no longer shapeshift, or at least I think that's an appropriate reaction for Odo. Like his inability to protect himself through shapeshifting probably should have been making him a little bit more uh, nervous at things. And I think that, I don't know if this episode is saying it, it's saying that this one's saying more that it's his memory and being very nervous about him knowing what's going to happen. But I do think that his inability to protect himself should be kind of a focus of that. He can't protect against the bombs. He can't help anybody in this situation. Um, and, and piling onto that is this whole memories of things past that he has to deal with. Yeah, yeah, I liked I liked his um, 
I actually really liked the scene when they're in after the bombing when they're in the jail, uh, and he's screaming at uh, what's his name Thrax Smith there Thrax uh, about all of the things that he didn't do. It was at that point where I figured out what was going on. I was like, oh, okay, I see what's going on. That's 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 interesting. But I, I liked I liked his um, on top of his inability to shape change his impotence of knowing the facts but being unable to convey them it's you know getting a second chance almost and yep. not being able to change anything yes yeah um because you know thrax ain't got time for that because the tigers are playing tonight <laughs> and he never misses a game well it's a uh it's a odo can't convince his younger self of something there yeah. he is he's realizing how stubborn he was and you know, I, I think that the main point of the episode is just, all as all things Star Trek are, um, it generally takes the outsider characters who have sort of bizarre flaws like the Cardassians and Odo and everything, Odo's authoritarian uh, edge, and simply by living in the Federation, it kind of uh, moralizes them. They become normalized mm. characters who realize what they've done in the past and the, the wrongs that they've done and the sort of extremism of their previous views. And they do that with Odo, and I think they do it pretty well because i think that odo's odo's authoritarianism has been a consistent key for him and his sense of justice and everything like that and i think that this is a pretty it's a pretty effective way of examining that of the things that could have gone wrong um especially building off a necessary evil and i think that his his reaction is good i think i think it's a good odo episode i don't know if it really wraps up as strong strongly as it could have but mm. i think that the way he plows through his whole dealing with the guilt ghosts that are popping up is very effective and i think that it deepens that character by having to see storylines like this yeah and i i really like the um t- taking to task sort of the 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 vacuum of quote unquote facts and justice um, through that character and having him because he's someone who has had a very, very drastic change since this, since this point in his history. Um, So having, getting him to kind of have that back and forth with his, with his former self and have him who used to be this, you know, heart cold heart down the middle, uh, objective fact character be like, no, objective facts are not the only thing that matter. Mm-hmm. Like they don't exist in a vacuum. You know, uh, it's almost like you would say, Wes, that objectivity is is uh, is a subjective thing. That's right. I'd go, <laughs> I'd go the other way. I think and say subjectivity is objective. Yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, you know, it, it's it's nice where he, you can act. You don't get many chances to have a character very specifically address the change he's gone through mm-hmm. and have it not feel completely forced. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, like he's not, he's not giving, I mean, he does a little bit, but he's not giving like a, uh, I accidentally killed a kid with my head speech. Um, <laughs> he's act, he's, he's getting, he's getting to show how he's grown as a character through actual interaction and action. You know what I mean? Yes. Right. It's not the, uh, not the, the Wharf Saga story, unfortunately. Oda doesn't have a, a, a badminton story that things Although, go wrong. Although, I will say, even if, if I think this story would still probably work, I don't mean the, the show. I mean, like, the story of how he let put these guys to death by, you know, accident, I guess, or wrongly convicted. Yeah, just not doing uh, just not doing the, the legwork, basically, that he should have done to find yeah. their innocence, yeah. 
I think that story would probably still work if he told it instead of seeing it because it's a pretty that story at least is consistent with his character in terms of how he has changed and where he came from. Yeah. Yeah. So I could see him just monologuing that story and having it work in a way that the, uh, you know, soccer story doesn't. Yeah, I, so what, what, I, can't, I, can't, I still can't get over that fucking soccer story. <laughs> so what did, what did you think of the very Christmas past vision? I wish it had been he, like High Lie or something weirder. <laughs> right. like I was I was playing an intense game of High Lie. Or he was in a, a martial arts fast. martial arts contest or something. And he just brutally I was in a martial arts contest. And as you know, <laughs> I'm very bad at fighting. <laughs> so what did you think of the uh, the Ghost of Christmas Past type reveal? I like it just the flashback on what I'm talking about, where Odo mm-hmm. watches mm-hmm. the guys get executed. I like it because I like seeing old Odo there um, yeah. watching the whole execution. I thought that that's really effective. I like his costume for whatever reason. He looks he looks like a badass in that costume, but uh, what, what did you think of it? Sexy, smooth trapezius muscles <laughs> just dripping off of his neck. <laughs> Copying the Cardassians a little bit. Yeah. Uh, no, I like that stuff. I thought it was it was pretty effective. I think um, I think those sort of like uh, jumpy guilt ghost kind of things are your mileage can really vary with that stuff. Yeah. Um, but I liked the overall sort of dreamlike nature of the story in general. Uh, I liked the way that, you know, w- when they thought they would get out, were getting out, they would end up, they would just, you know, hard cut to them being back in the prison and that kind of thing. I liked that stuff. And I also liked my, my favorite part about that end sequence is that they are viewing the execution from like across the way. So like he can't even get there to stop it if he wants to, you right. know. Like he's very he's distant. helpless. Yeah. yeah, he's helpless by distance and by time. Um, I thought that was good. Yeah, and and being able to, uh, yeah, I thought it was very effective. I thought it was well done. It's a um, I I like the episode. I don't really know why it's not really a classic for me. Um, mm-hmm. it feels like there's something sort of wiggling around. I don't really like the opening. I don't like the setup. There's a lot of scenes where uh, Worf and Bashir are talking to each other about what the problem is that I don't really think are very effective, and I don't think that they move the story along or anything. But I, I think it's also an, uh, an unnecessary detail to show that when Garrett gets punched in the face, he's bleeding in real life because that never comes up again. No, like there's no there's no point where because that's what I thought it was going to be going to be one of these things where. Uh, someone gets shot. Like I, I just watched Inception again last night. You die. Yeah, exactly. I I was, I was watching Inception, and that's the first thing I was thinking of. Was oh, it's like when the guy gets shot, and it's like, well, if he dies here, he's he's in limbo for twenty thousand years or some shit like that. I thought that was going to come back, but it didn't. I think that's Um, what they're implying, though, right? That that's yeah. They don't really focus on it, but that is what they're saying, and I. I don't know. It feels like an unnecessary detail. Maybe it's just because yeah. this came out in 96 and all that stuff came out after that we're talking about, where it's kind of just become public consciousness that if you die well, in your dream, you die in real life. I'm not, I'm, I'm not, I don't have a problem with the mechanic itself. Mm-hmm. I just don't think it was necessary to add to the story. I think the only reason they did that was to add some front loaded tension um, that is um, irrelevant to the story they're actually telling. You know what I mean? Like, there's no, like, I guess, I guess the only time it kind of comes back, if you really wanted to reach for it, is at the end when they've lined the three of them up to be executed. Uh, I guess maybe the idea is that the viewer is now thinking, oh, shit, well, if they get executed here, they're going to die in real life. But they never, like, circle back to that and make that a point. That's that's such an obvious dream sequence, too, when it happens, that you don't really... 
appreciate it for what it is. At, at that point, it feels like the story has moved away from this um, time travel aspect to more it's in Odo's brain because the way that it's shot is very like fish lensy, fish eye lensy. It, it, yeah, it doesn't yeah. look realistic. And, you know, the, the the problem with the Garrick nosebleed thing is that I actually think it lost something when Worf and Bashir have a conversation about it. Like Bashir is yeah. trying to sort of rationalize what this is and it really knocks it down a little bit. I, I, I understand the imagery better than Bashir talking about like, well, maybe he had a vascular psychosomatic issue and, you know, he could give himself a stroke. Maybe he can't break his bones, but we could give himself a stroke. It's like, it's a yeah. little bit too much detail. I don't, I don't need all this. Yeah. It feels like, it feels like they just did it because if you take that out, there's no real um, pressure, tension pressure on the situation coming from the, uh, of the situation that they're in. They're just, you're just kind of like watching them navigate this dream thing. Yes. Until the end when the execution thing is set up, there's no like, we need to get out of here because of X. We need to get them out of here because of X. So if you put that thing in there where, oh, he's bleeding, like, because he get punched in the, in the dream, he's bleeding in real life, that at least, even though completely arbitrarily, puts on a little bit of pressure as to why they might need to get out of there. You know? so, so why do they have this opening scene at all? What if this episode opened with them waking up in the past? And the reveal at the end was just that they had had some kind of accident. Would that work better? Like it, I, I think you could get around that if you actually thought that they had time traveled in the episode. And it turns out mm. not to be that. It's just all in Odo's memory. But I don't really, it feels to me that they waste an awful lot of time with the runabout scene opening it. And I, I actually like the runabout scene okay. because I think you, you get, because honestly, I didn't totally remember. I, I I either didn't remember or I didn't know that Odo was held in like high esteem by the Bajorans because okay. of the way because of the way he handled stuff during the the occupation. So I appreciated that they kind of leaned into that a little bit. And they like I said, they do it kind of like they give you a little bit of a red herring because they're really focusing on Garrick, but they're giving you this stuff about Odo being a hero and you know them all loving him and all this kind of stuff. He always did the right um, thing, according to the Bajorans. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. They're, they're setting up what the problem is, or what the what the, uh, uh, the 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 point of tension in Odo for the episode is. Uh, so I think that's important to have in there. Um, I think you probably, I don't know. I think there's a better way you probably could handle it instead of just having. Uh, Worf and Bashir standing over them talking every now and then. <laughs> yeah, right. And like even the the way that they find the runabout is really clunky. Where it's where it's it just, just like drifts, a hard. It just drifts yeah, into just, space. Yeah, yeah. It's just a hard cut, and it's like, well, the runabout's back, and everybody's knocked out. <laughs> I don't know what happened. You know, it, it, it's it's really kind of clunky. They they could have. I don't know. There's probably a little a more elegant solution to how to how to handle that stuff. But yeah, yeah. It's it's it is very very clunky. I mean, do you? You sound like you're not super in. I don't want to say that you're not enthused. It sounds like you liked it, but it sounds like we're also kind of of the similar mindset where it's not. This is not really five out of five material, um, and I don't know why because I find that the I find Odo's story to be good. It maybe yeah. feels a little bit cliche or something. Like it feel it feels a little bit predictable, even though I do think that it's very um, the emotional response and like the the way that they earn the ending makes sense to me. But I think that the the ending might have something to do with it. I feel I feel that the ending sort of goes on a little bit too long, and I really don't like the end line where Odo answers the question. Uh, Kira's like, 
did you kill any other innocent people? I would <laughs> I would have preferred Odo didn't answer that and it just hung on him and then the scene went to black. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like mm-hmm. that that feels a little bit too bluntly Star Trek. And I think that the show, you, if you don't understand that Odo is now racked with guilt about every single decision that he made in the past, I don't think you were paying attention to the episode. Yeah, I couldn't I couldn't believe that last scene where where she says that and he's like I honestly don't know. <laughs> Right. It's like, it turns it into a joke almost. Yeah, it's like when someone asks you if you have any kids and you're like, not that I know of, but like a really dark, serious version of that. <laughs> when they when they cut to the credits, I was just like, holy shit, that's a downer of an ending. Yeah. So you had a similar thoughts about the ending, it sounds like. Did, did you? Yeah, it was did a little, think- little, little too much probably, but I think it was a little too much, but I was also impressed that they, they left it so bleak. Yes. Yes, and that in it sounds like you didn't remember Necessary Evil, but it's very. I, I prefer the ending to Necessary Evil. I think a little bit to this one, but mm-hmm. it's the same bleak ending there, where both Kira and Odo are now have flip flop versions of each other, where they see the weaknesses in the other, even though they've uh, grown over the past seven years that they've known each other, and they're still learning about things about each other. They were on different sides of the whole occupation, and now they're working together and sort of learning that they maybe aren't. Um, as close as they thought they were, which is more problematic for Odo because he still has real romantic feelings for Kira, you would have to assume. Mm. Um, but yeah, I just think that the... Oh, God. Oh, I was just going to say, the, the more I think about it, the more I think I would have preferred Kira in, in the episode instead of Dax because, I'm at, I mean, I feel like now that you've reminded me of the previous episode, um, I think there was probably a missed opportunity to kind of circle back to that a little bit and... Because I f- feel like she's well within her right to be like, dude, um, you judged me pretty hard for something I did a while ago yeah. uh, while you're here sitting on the unintended d- death of three innocent people. <laughs> right. Yes. You're throwing that back in his face a little bit. Yeah. Which, I mean, you know, she, that would be kind of an, a, a dick thing to do on her part. But I mean, I, I think there, there's At least I, I like their scene at the end. But I think if you wanted to, you really could have, you know, dug into that shit. Yeah, I think it, I think my problem is that I don't know I don't know how to handle that at this point. I don't know if yeah. Kira should have been angrier at the end, or if enough time has passed and she is now because of she what she went through a necessary evil. She's now aware that sacrifices had to be made by both sides, and mm-hmm. I think that the ending here kind of straddles the middle. I don't think that she's either angry enough or forgiving enough of what he's done, and I don't really understand Kira's point of view by the end of it. And I think if she had been in the position of Dax. You, she would have had a more personal reminder about what the Cardassians were up to because she would have had to deal with Dukat the entire episode. Mm, yeah, and I think that would have really strengthened her position and probably made her more angry at Odo at the end, which I think is an appropriate response. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Yeah, I think it's a missed opportunity not to have her there. I think that would have been very interesting. I wonder why they had Dex. As far as I can tell, the only thing Dex does, Dex makes the little computer scanner or does Garrick make that when he finds the uh, their identities? I think Garrick does uh, that actually. Garrick does that. Uh Dex breaks them out of prison. Oh, that that's right. But anyone can do that, I guess, cuz she just yeah. uses the computer. So I don't know why Dex is there, I guess. Outside I, of it, I wonder if well, if it wasn't the baby situation, I wonder if it was if if it was them going Guys, we really need to use Dax. I mean, we can't just use Kira for every story. We need to spread this around a little bit. I feel like we haven't had a lot of Kira, though. It was like a weird sort of refreshing. She must be, she must be out for, for pregnancy reasons. She is, Dax, yeah. yeah. Dax was a, a main part of Trouble with Tribbles, and she's a main part of this one. So I, I assume she's just 
off the board. Yes, she's she's recovering from her uh, either recovering or just about to start recovering from her baby. Yeah. Um, but yeah, she she definitely would have improved the situation. Um, I don't think there's really anything else I wanted to talk about besides. I mean, they even covered it like they did in Avengers two, where they had to figure out what to do with Scarlett Johansson because she was pregnant, so they just had Ultron capture her for eighty percent of the movie. Yeah, that was. That was- <laughs> Which is basically what happens in this episode. So it works. Whatever you got to do, can't can't can. Uh, you think they'd have come up with more sophisticated ways to work around it? But I guess the women really just can't. You can't do anything super physical at that point in your pregnancy. Mm. So it's kind of limited. Um, Challenge accepted. <laughs> by I want- I, I'm speaking for some nebulous as yet to find pregnant woman who is going to show you some shit. Well, let me, let me mansplain to you, Clay, what it's like to be pregnant, all right? You, yeah. You're going to have some real trouble moving around. Yeah. You're going to feel a pressure. Play, play, this, play this episode for your wife. <laughs> she could have handled Ducat's pregnant, nine, nine months pregnant, I think would have been that. Um, let's see. I don't think there's really anything else to talk I, about here. Did you I have did like that they... I did like that they call the Cardassian spoonheads. Spoonheads is that the first? Is that the first time they've actually said that in the show? No, they've said it before. Oh, um, I, I don't know if the they've time. ever said it to a Cardassian, but Garrick responds to it appropriately here. They have mm-hmm. called them spoonheads before. Mm-hmm. Do you think there's missed opportunity to also? Well, I guess it would probably take too much of the focus. I was going to say for for the way that they set it up with the way Garrick was talking, I was wondering if there was some missed opportunity for him to learn a little bit about the Cardassians. Uh, occupation. I think he does. I guess he kind of does. He yeah, because yeah. they, they do the thing about the cleaning and everything, and it's not really like. I think the, he doesn't the, really have a deep character character change, but I guess he learns a couple of lessons. No, I, I think the episode is kind of weird for Garrick because Garrick has never struck me as. It seems like Garrick's opinion in this episode is more in line with what Ducat would have thought, but Garrick never strikes me as a sort of pro occupation Cardassian. Um, right. He seems like he's a little bit more of a like a generous soul for lack of a, like his job wouldn't have been the pro occupation type thing. That is the way that I would react to him. But I think it's fairly effective what they do with it. I think my favorite scene is when he, when he feels that he can kind of negotiate with the Cardassian guard by giving them money and the guard just hits him is kind of a, I think that's the best scene because that shows to him that the Cardassians treatment of the Bajorans was just more based on cruelty than any sort of logic. And that's kind of an eye open experience for him. Yeah. My favorite scene was similar to that where you get a, a peek inside the thought process of the writer's room where he's in the, he's in the, the jail cell running through all of the logic problems of explaining to the people what's what what is actually happening <laughs> where he's like you'll probably wondering why there's no uh Cardassian DNA well uh I was uh, surgically altered and they they also changed my like I, I like that stuff I yeah yeah they, they've got to somehow get around the fact of why can't they explain things to each other um and what'd you think of uh red Foreman Clarence Boddicker as uh, Thrax uh he was I mean, I, I always like him. I think he was a little underutilized here. He doesn't really have much to do. But, no, he doesn't. Uh, the weirdest you know. scene, I think, is his scene with Quark. What did you make of the scene with Quark? I don't really remember the scene with Quark. It's where so he, not much, apparently. He comes in and tells Quark that he's keeping an eye on him because he is smuggling some kind of crystals. Oh, right, right. That scene yeah, makes much you know, more funny. sense on rewatch because it it's does. Odo. yeah. I was just thinking that, yeah, that's much more of an Odo, Odo and Quark scene. Yeah. Yeah. My, my confusion with it is what, my confusion with it is I couldn't tell 
if they were trying to make Quark more sympathetic, and I didn't want them to do that because I think that the way they portray Quark here is good, and it's the right mm-hmm. way to do it, is that he's not overly sympathetic to the Bajorans in any way. He's not doing... He's not lying about those crystals because he's somehow like funding the Bajoran resistance with it. Um, they've previously talked in episodes before about how he sold medicine at cost to the Bajorans, but he was still trying to make, or he made it sold it for a slight profit, which upsets the other Ferengi. Um, mm-hmm. So Quark has a slight bit of a heart, but I like the fact that they treat him basically as like a slave owner in this, who just kind of peruses the guard fence and then says, you guys are, you're going to be working for me now for no pay. Um, I like yeah. that stuff. Yeah. No, I thought that stuff was good. Uh, that's about it. I think we're done. We're going to take a break, play an audio clip. We'll come back, read some picture thoughts, give our final thoughts about things past. That's exactly how it happened seven years ago. It was you all along. Yes. I was chief of security on the promenade. I was the one who charged those men with a crime they didn't commit. And I was the one who turned them over to Dukat. Three days after the executions, there was another bombing on the promenade identical to the one that almost killed Dukat. Timor, Ishan, and Julur were innocent. All the evidence was there. The inconsistencies in the reports of the soldiers who arrested them. A pattern of bombings the ballistics. It was all there from the beginning. But I was too busy, too concerned with maintaining order and the rule of law. All right, so if you support the show on patreon.com slash the Penske file, you get to leave your thoughts about upcoming episodes and we'll read them on the podcast. Holly McLaughlin says, Things past, Odo is a sympathetic character without being very likable, and this episode goes a long way towards making him more human, likable, and relatable. Next comment is Christian Pouch says, In a way, it makes sense that Odo wouldn't have been able to work with the Cardassians for as long as he did without getting a little dirty. Still, it's heartbreaking to see his final scene with Kira, where he can only say he hopes no more innocents died on his watch. I think one possible weakness in this is that it should have been obvious to the characters that it's all in someone's mind, that it's clearly Odo's mind, and that the whole thing is all about Odo. Stephen Cobb says, Things past DS9 at its best. Again, we're reminded that the station and the people on it existed long before the Federation rolled in. Exceptional writing. Uh, Zam Nuclear Wessel says, The Thrax performance is a lot of fun on rewatch, picturing Odo delivering all the lines. His interplay with Quark is especially good. He scoffs in exactly the same way. It also shows him much more integrated into the Cardassian system and mindset than previously. No wonder the mob wanted him gone back in Man No wonder the mob wanted him gone back in the Man Alone episode. Things uh, on second thought, from the point of view of the resistance, isn't it better that Odo executed innocents rather than the real assassins? Assassins are the more valuable than some random migrant workers. That's a bit of brutal uh, moral clarity from Zemanuka Wessel right there, but I guess that's true. <laughs> um, <laughs> I guess it is better for the resistance that he didn't actually get the right guys, but it's uh, unfortunate for those Bajorans. Uh, Matthew Ross says, A Nightmare on Odo Street, as it's been called, although a good story about guilt and that no one is perfect as they seem, I just had this naggy question throughout the entire episode. If this is Odo's memories, how the hell would he know what the prior security chief was doing and how the hell would he know what Dukat was saying to the Bajoran girl in his office? Or what went down in Quark's? 
what was he everywhere all the time? That aside, Kurtwood Smith was greatest Thrax, channeling Clarence Boddicker. The freakiest thing I remembered while watching it is seeing the shot Bajorans walking by, and I thought that the makeup on the bolster marks were oozyish and disturbing. It's interesting how the station actually now makes sense. It's not really a promenade until the Federation gets there. Otherwise, it's just a labor pit with a guard level looking down at it. The BS on how they get stuck in Odo's memories, whatever. But it was a fun ride and way better than the prior episode. A good, dark time. Yeah, he does kind of bring up a, a logic problem there. Because if, yeah, if it's if it's Odo's mind, then the Ducat stuff doesn't make any sense. But yes, uh, I think that's just chalked it up to the clunkiness of the uh, of the mechanic. Yes. Although he's he's right about Dax. I think w- what went down on Quarks, he would remember because he was Thrax in that position. So right, every time right. you're seeing Thrax, you're seeing Odo and you should be able to draw conclusions. But the Dax stuff doesn't make a lot of sense. Yeah, I, I would. Um... Shit, I forgot what I was going to say. Uh, I would move on because I don't remember what I was going to say. Kyle Barrett says, this has got to be one of the strangest and most convoluted setups in all of Star Trek with Odo's telepathic shared memory dream not making much sense. I think simple flashbacks maybe could have sufficed and the Odo is Thrax reveal was fairly obvious, but the actual meat of the story and the character drama are quite good. And any misgivings I have are lessened by the final scene, which echoes back to the end of Necessary Evil, but with the roles cleverly reversed. I don't care for how the episode got there, but for the most part, it was worth it. And that's it. I remember now. Jerk, go ahead. I was going to say, I initially thought, I wasn't totally sure it was in his head, but I thought it might have been Dominion related. So, like, that's why I kind of hand waved that stuff. Yeah. Well, they have the scene uh, with the changeling where Thrax changes into a changeling and they don't that know. That was that Thrax. Well. Okay. I wasn't totally sure. For, uh, for whatever reason, I don't know if the light in my, my house was really bright or something, but the screen was dark enough where I couldn't totally make figure out if that was Thrax. It's or in the middle a of a fight Kardashian. scene too. So he's kind of m- yeah. moving around a lot. Yeah. Yeah. So when that happened, my first instinct was, oh, it's some sort of dominion thing. Um, just like even at the yeah, end, just like the search plot where they put them into the situation to see how they would react to it. Yeah, yeah, and even at the end, when when um, Bashir's talking about the Great Link thing, I was like, I thought I thought it was oh, they somehow the 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 founders somehow manipulated this into happening through some you know through the Great Link somehow. I was that's what I was expecting them to to speculate on. Yeah, uh, I wasn't expecting. No, you all just plugged your phones into. Odo's router. What do you what do you think of the the writer stuck the uh metamorphic <clears throat> telekinetic link thing in the, at the end because they wanted to remind people um about Odo's loss and the fact that he might not be or just sort of bring to the light that he might not be totally a solid um mm-hmm. going forward. What do you what are your quick thoughts on the Odo as a solid stuff that we've had for a couple episodes. Um, and I'm not saying that in just, what do you think of that whole decision to go with that plot line? Um, I think it's been pretty interesting. I think it's really changed his character quite a bit. Um, cause he feels more, um, unsure of himself. Yeah. Uh, he's lost his confidence. Had, yeah. yeah. Yeah, definitely. He, he seems a lot more for lack of a better term, like mopey, uh, and, yeah, um, doesn't have as much self confidence. Um, he seems to get rattled a little, little easier. Uh, so I like that stuff. And when when he mentioned the thing about the leftover, you know, whatever link DNA, my first first thought was, oh, so maybe there's a back door for him to become a changeling again, yeah. which would be interesting because I that that at the very least gives you some sort of. I assume if I had to take a shot at it. 
it's going to be some sort of choice he has to make, or at least I would make it a choice he has to make whether mm-hmm. or not to become a changeling again. Yeah. Um, and so that gives him some sort of conflict over going back to what he was versus what he is now and all that kind of stuff. So right. it has, it, 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 it presents some, uh, um, some good character threads moving forward. It's I like, think. it's like symbol, a symbolic representation of his character growth, whether or not he wants yeah. to go back to uh, exactly. what he was. And, uh, I mention it because the next episode deals strongly with this. Uh, so I just is, wanted it, to- is the episode called Odo could possibly be a changeling again. <laughs> Odo makes a symbolic the choice is the name of the episode. <laughs> um, I, I'll, I'll have more to say about it. I think that they, I think it's kind of a tough storyline. It has good, good stuff to it and bad stuff to it. And we'll probably talk more about it next time, but I just wanted to sort of uh, prime your brain about thinking about mm-hmm. it that way. I, I, you know, the more I watch this show, the more I've, I've learned a lot about ensemble character writing because I feel like they managed to do so much with just s- simple, clear character motivation. Yeah. Because you've got so much time that you have to spend, or I should say so little time you have to spend with each character, uh, episode to episode, that having a very clear idea of where this character is uh, mentally, what their mindset is, and what their core problem is just it just informs everything so so cleanly and so uh so you can spend five minutes with a character and have that scene be totally consistent and feel like you're moving the plot forward when all they're doing is just sort of like sitting in a chair moping about their wife or something right. you know if yeah. it was if it was o'brien's case you know what i mean <laughs> well it's uh they just it's it's such a a smart way to handle everything and i guess it's probably the way you should handle this stuff yeah i, um, I think but they do a ha- good job with it you have to you certainly have to know what your characters are doing right so that mm-hmm. when they have their scene or their five minutes the scene is not wasted on something that is not even tangentially related to what their main character drive is so yeah. that's probably the problem with let there be sin the last episode we watched because that did felt like a distraction from what Worf's character beats are yeah. it, it felt like it yeah. didn't understand it was a waste of time because that was not a good representation of Worf and what he should be going through as opposed to the other episodes that have dealt with Worf have been very good about it so yeah it's really just don't waste the time that you give the characters have them have their scenes actually be about something or at least um represent something that they're going through and i think that they do that here yeah it feels like the only character that they haven't quite figured out yet is still dax dax seems sort of aimless but uh um i would throw o'brien into her her pool at this point yeah i think yeah those are the two i think that they've they've moved dax into her we mentioned it before her consigliere role with cisco i think is good Mm -hmm. for her Mm -hmm. uh but i think that they both kind of suffer from a they don't really have an interesting ethical perspective. Yes. Yeah. Neither yeah, of them really that. has any dark stuff going on or any, not, it doesn't have to be dark. Neither of them has anything that like you'd call a quandary in their daily lives. Yeah, they don't pretty, have pretty much of an out. internal. Yeah. Not much of an internal conflict. Yeah. 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 I think everyone else does, uh, but that's it. So thank you patrons for commenting on the episode. You can leave your thoughts about upcoming episodes. We'll read them. So Clay, what are you going to give this one? Our scale of one to five. Um, I'm going to go four. 
I'm going to give my, I'm going to give it a four too. And yeah. it, it really had potential to be a five. It just, it, it, it takes a couple bad falls down a couple stairs on its way to like getting out of the way of the episode. And I think that it just mm. comes back to haunt it a little bit, but I really like it. I think it's no a, pun intended. It's, it's a, I think it just it's kills strong. a few too many innocents on its way from point A to point. That's right. Yeah. Kill three. Exactly. And then comes to terms with itself by the end. I think, I think it's good though. I think it's a solid episode, a good flashback episode, a good Odo episode. It just has a couple problems along the way. Yeah. Uh, let's see. That's about it. Guys, thank you very much for listening. Hope you enjoyed the content. Facebook, Twitter, you can go there, follow the show. You can go to Discord if you want to join the communication uh, breakdown. I don't know why I said that. but if Join you want, the great link. That's, that's right. You'll get a little bit of flair that says you join the great link. If you join, you can talk to us on Discord. It's the place we'll to find be. out about all the innocent people you've put to death. Hopefully not. Are, are there, <laughs> I'll, I'll greet every one of you with uh, how many more innocent people have you executed? <laughs> Um, Discord, patreon.com slash Valley. You want to support the show there. That's much appreciated. It's a good way to do. I made some Patreon changes. You can go check those out. It's really just sort of streamlining the whole thing. Uh, so you can check out the post on that. Everyone should have access to it. And then, uh, let's see here. I think that's pretty much it. Oh, we have some, I guess we might as well do the announcement here, Clay, that we have, uh, we'll have some merch out. I don't like, I don't like when people call it merch, but I'm going to do that sort of ironically. <laughs> We're going to just sell t-shirts and crap like that. So if you want to uh, support the show and you want to get a bit of clothing, you can click on the Teespring link, which will be down below. You got a whole bunch of different stuff for the, uh, the different podcasts, the prisoner, this one, uh, real ripe, real rotten. We've got some quotes going up there from the series. So if you don't want to support the show on Patreon, or if you want to supplement your Patreon, uh, support with a t-shirt, this is the way to do it. Uh, Clay, you have anything you want to say? Um, I don't think so. Uh, there's some, some, some issue of night moves will be on the stands by the time that you, uh, you listen to this. So if you happen to catch it you want to grab it let me know that'd be great and uh yeah i think when i get my uh, comps for the last issue of poser maybe like i think i said previously maybe we can do like a giveaway or something i can send out the whole series to somebody yeah definitely definitely we'll we'll, uh whoever buys the most t-shirts what's that (laughs) Whoever buys the most t-shirts. <laughs> That's right. Buy hundreds of t-shirts. Um, yeah, it'll we can be like, it'll be like a PBS thing where I, I give you something that's worth like $8, but you have to spend like $700 in order to get it. Tote bags. We got tote bags for days. Who even uses a tote bag? Anyway, we're going to uh, wrap it up there. We'll call it a day. Thank you very much for listening, guys. We will see you next time. <laughs>